Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are talking to Holly Framstead and Priya Ponce about your evolving mentoring relationships. Through introductions to transitions, how do we assure that our most important relationships are not left behind? Holly Framstead was a previous guest on We Talk Careers podcast. She spoke about creating a strength-based career. If you have any question of whether your future is fully leveraging your strengths, I highly recommend her episode. We'll put a link in the show notes. Holly is the head of ETFs at Capital Group, home of the American Funds. Prior to joining Capital, Holly was a managing director and head of U.S. ETF product segments at BlackRock. Holly lives in Redondo Beach, California with her husband and two children. Priya Ponce is an investment strategist with BlackRock, specializing in iShares Factor and Sustainable ETFs. She's worked across BlackRock's global offices, Singapore, London, and now San Francisco. Most recently, she won the Heart of BlackRock Award for her efforts in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Priya is also a new mother to a baby boy and a very avid hiker in California. I am pleased to welcome both Holly and Priya to the We Talk Careers podcast. Great to have you both. Thank you so much, Christine. It's great to be here. Thank you, Christine. It's such a pleasure to be here. So last month, Holly, you and I were at the exchange conference down in Miami, um, much warmer than it is here in Maine today. Um, (laughs) But I really enjoyed it. I know you and I got to sit next to each other at the breakfast that was full of both men and women in, in the industry, which to me was just so exciting. But what stands out to you for our time in Miami? Well, I think the breakfast was a highlight for sure. And in addition to being, I I think, a conference where you get a lot of good client attendance and press attendance, I actually found it so nice to connect in person with a number of female ex-colleagues from prior walks of life, all of whom are doing amazing things with ETFs at various firms throughout the industry. And, And many of them have served as mentors for me on my journey here. So it was just so nice to um, to be able to get together again and and spend some real quality time. I think we'll talk about it a little bit in the session today, but so much of maintaining relationships with mentors is just small touch points here and there that keep that relationship afloat. And I think that the conference um, served that purpose for me. For me as well, back on the episode with Jenica and Naomi, they talked about the cabanas that were down by the pool and you know how much business goes on in them and how they've really transformed over the years of this conference where it used to just be a few companies that had a cabana, but now so many do. And I got questions about like, what, what are cabanas? Are they like really the cabanas at like the resort pools? And it's like, yes, they are actually just <laughs> really the cabanas and they, you know, put in couches and tables and they have drinks and food and all day long you can go down and, you know, have meetings and have conversations and meet people. Did you spend time at the cabanas as well? 
Oh, I, yes, I did. And you're right. I mean, I think that's the most full I have ever seen a series of cabanas at a resort that isn't Las Vegas um, in my entire yeah. life. But it it is such a good, fun, casual use of space that really, you're right, does allow for a whole lot of business to get done. Yeah. And I just want to set the scene for people. Like we're coming out the back of the Fontainebleau Hotel, which is right on Miami Beach. It is the premier hotel. It's absolutely beautiful. You're walking through the cabanas start with, you know, all the different companies have them. You walk up these stairs and there is a hot tub for pool guests, like right in the middle of where everyone in their suits and everything is walking all around them. And they are all, you know, sipping on their Mai Tais and things like that in the hot tub, in the ground while everybody is walking around them. And I'm just thinking... Well, that's an interesting way to vacation. <laughs> like I kind of felt a little bad. I was always trying to like skirt around that hot tub a little bit, but I hope that the guests weren't too inconvenienced by all of us in suits. But I, I don't oh, know for sure. <laughs> that, I felt I felt bad for every person I saw walking around with children in bathing suits. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. I think the hotel does such a nice job, but uh, it is a it's a strange mix of Wall Street types and and then families on vacation. Uh, so Priya, I know you didn't get a chance to come this year. Um, I, I know, know you have in previous years. Lots of FOMO after hearing about all these cabanas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, next year for sure. It, it is what I look forward to each year. So I, I know I've skipped a couple years as well, but it was so nice to be back this year. But today we're talking about mentoring. So Priya, tell us how you and Holly met and what drew you to someone like Holly that, that you could trust? Absolutely. And firstly, you know, thank you again for having me, Christine and Holly. I, I feel absolutely humbled to be on this podcast alongside such incredible and accomplished women. Um, to take us back to when I first met Holly, I was living in London, working in the hedge fund industry in BlackRock, very keen to make a career pivot to the ETF world, recognizing it's the future. I also happened to be in a long distance relationship with my now husband, who's based in California. Given this was sort of an arranged Indian marriage, we knew we needed to figure our physical location. So all this led to me applying for a role in Holly's team in San Francisco, where she was the head of US factor ETFs in BlackRock at that point in time. Our virtual interview had a very natural chemistry. I was very honest with her with the reasons I was taking on the role, which were both career and personal life motivated. And she was, on the other hand, trying to understand my strengths and what drives me. I truly feel lucky that I got a role in her team and also had the realization later on that Holly represented a lot that I was aspiring for. She was leading a team. Her fashion was on point. She was a key leader in our women's network and also a mother of two. And, you know, these were, I would say, some of the visible characteristics that made me feel very fortunate to have a role model within my team who was physically there. But I think more importantly, there were moments through our journey that really deepened the trust. The first being the way she manages and builds her team. She has a constant eye on building people's strengths and also matching work according to that. Christine, I know StrengthsFinder has been mentioned by many leaders on this podcast. In BlackRock, Holly was literally the walking and talking strengths implementer. Um, and that automatically built trust for me and also a lot of respect. The second is if I ever had a question for Holly, I usually would get at least one question back, which I loved because it tells me that Holly's really thinking through my unique situation. 
And the third point, which I think is, is most important for me, is the idea of vulnerability. We have seen each other um, in quite vulnerable, whether it was me moving over, feeling like I had completely lost my track record built from Singapore and London. Holly had, you know, emphasized that the sky's my limit and, you know, I have a fresh, clean start. Or whether it was um, from Holly's side when she shared a really powerful story during one of our offsites about her humble beginnings that brought her to the industry. Sometimes I feel moments like that really create a lot of depth in relationships. And on my hand, not forgetting, I experienced a lot of my key milestones in life because one fine day, Holly decided to take a shot with me. Thanks to her, I've gotten engaged, I've gotten married, bought my first home. To a certain extent, even my son's existence is attributable to her. So naturally, lots of gratitude and respect flowing in Holly's direction. Wow. Uh, Well, before we get to Holly, I'm sorry, I just have to pause here. So there's like two things that are just like dinging in my head right now. One of them is I've got a 23-year-old and a 21-year-old, and the 23-year-old lives in Nashville, and so she's always regaling me with these dates that she goes on with musicians and actors and business guys, and I don't know any of them. You know, I know the values we raised her with. I know the kind of person she is, and and I've never really thought much of arranged marriages, but right now I'm, like, really keen on it, so... <laughs> Maybe take us, just, just give me a few sentences on what yeah. that was like for you. Cause I'm, I'm really, I want to be a student. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, a very traditional arranged marriage in the Indian community could be actually not even knowing that person and just, you know, signing up for a commitment, a marriage commitment on the, on the premise that you will uphold the marriage, you know, whether anything comes your way. Things have evolved over time. You do have a little bit of dating. um, And in that courtship, you do get to get to know the partner. There are some characteristics that allow you to really dive further into what you seek in the spouse. And I think what really helped us was going into this relationship, knowing that the end question was, am I going to get married to this person and not playing games with each other? Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's hard for a lot of people now to know what are the intentions of the people you're dating, right? So, and I think intentions are important, whether we're talking about mentorship or or marriage. Um, and it sounds like pivoting a little bit back to, to my topic, although I could talk to you about this arranged marriage for the whole <laughs> podcast. I know I could. Um, intentionality on the mentoring is pretty important too, right, Holly? I mean, you were intentional in pulling Priya over to your team. And what struck you about her that encouraged you to to take the next step? Yeah, I think I, I think it's complex, right? There were there were a few circumstances that made the my relationship with Priya um, a natural one. I uh, the team that Priya joined that I was managing at the time was a bi-coastal team. Most of the associates were in New York. So as a leader, I was getting used to managing a team that I didn't see on a day-to-day basis. And in this case, Priya was a new joiner to the team who was actually San Francisco based. So I had, you know, it was maybe in a unique position to add value in ways that I couldn't for the rest of the team because she was, you know, looking at homes in the general geographic area that I lived in. And she was worried about commutes that I understood and could advise on. And so I think there was a natural connection because of the proximity that allowed for some early discussion. And 
I, I think as much as, as Priya's categorization of our relationship um, was very flattering to me, I, I would say a lot of the same in return. I mean, her willingness to be vulnerable, to express where she had concerns and questions, both personal and work, made it far easier for me to engage in career-oriented dialogue with her because I understood what her priorities were. And it wasn't a manager transaction. It was a, you know, kind of how can you help me and, and what guidance would you provide? And so I think I think it takes vulnerability on both people's parts, both sides of the equation, the mentor and the mentee, so that the mentee understands what they can get out of the mentor and that the mentor understands what the mentee needs. I agree. This idea of vulnerability is really striking me because I actually got a call today from a guy that we worked together on a project. He works at another firm. Um, We never worked for each other, but always just with each other with some um, cross corporate initiatives. And I would never think that I was a mentor for him, but what we did become for each other are sort of like co-sponsors of each other's careers. So he, about a year ago, kind of expressed to me that he really wasn't happy with where he where he's at. I, you know, made some introductions for him. I know he has a lot of people looking out for him, so it's not like he had just rely on me. But today he called to say, I've got two offers, two very different firms, all of that. And I remember while he was explaining all this to me, I was panicked a little bit. I'm like, what kind of advice can I give him? You know, like I believe so much in him. I think he's going to do great no matter where he goes, but how can I add value to this conversation? And one of the things that you said, Priya, about something that Holly does really well, I just happened to sort of hit on, which is I just started asking him questions, you know, specific questions about where he saw himself, like what are sort of the intangibles around the career, how he felt like work-life balance was going to work in each of those cases. You know, he's got some young kids. So maybe touch on that a little bit, Holly, in terms of it's obvious something that you do well because Priya mentions it right up front. But tell us a little bit about the questioning in lieu of like specific advice. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it stems from the idea that we're all different people, we have different motivations, we have different concerns and challenges. And so to assume that I can tell Priya what she should do and have all that context, I I think would be a little presumptive. And yet she's seeking advice. So for me, just the easiest way to kind of get at solving a problem is to think through how I would think about it and help the person I'm working with think about those aspects. And, and that isn't answering those questions for them, but it is helping guide them, you know, in a path of self-inquiry that maybe gets to the answer that is the right answer for them, which might be totally the wrong answer for me, which I guess takes me back to why I I try and not lead with a solution. and, And I try and lead with a question instead. Does that make sense to you, Priya? Is that, is that how you feel? Is it ever frustrating to not just get, get Holly's answer or does it feel like the right things when she's so consultative on the issues that you guys talk about? I actually think it is absolutely the right process because the questions definitely allow me to rethink in a direction that I may have never thought of. And I think there is an answer in the question itself sometimes. Like, have you thought about X? Have you thought about Y? Um, And that really allows me to deep dive into areas that I may not have ever considered. 
And at least for me, um, the way that I have approached Holly is never to go with her with something half-baked, also because I know that, you know, there are going to be questions coming my way. Technically, nothing wrong with that, but it's a relative game. Relative to the rest of the board of advisors that I have in my life, I see Holly as the final deal. Um, She is the closest and most successful industry expert in my life. So now that I know her style and the way that she questions it almost forces me to anticipate some of the things that she may consider. And it forces me to understand what I personally think about those dimensions. So it's quite a reflective process um, once I start trying to get into Holly's head. <laughs> well, and, you know, Christine, maybe I'd add there too, if you if you are someone who's working with a mentor that is this way, and you don't want to be bombarded with a million questions, and you do actually want to, you know, brainstorm and, and troubleshoot I think maybe a way to approach that dialogue is how should I be thinking about this? What are some questions I should be considering? Because then you invite the questions you know that are going to come, but you're open about the fact that you don't have answers to them and you're looking for a framework, not a solve. I think a framework is the absolute right uh, word, I would say. Like, you know, a lot of the decisions that we have to make sometimes really rest onto what is the framework that we're using to solve that. And sometimes as a mentee, you don't necessarily have built the right framework. You may not have considered the right factors to even build out that framework. So that continual uh, assessment with a mentor over time who has this questioning style actually allows you to build that framework over time, which is a useful takeaway that you can apply to a lot of different other situations in your life. So I really like this idea too of understanding that it is what you're building this framework, right, Priya? And because it could be intimidating. You're going to you know, sit down with someone for advice. You know the questions are going to come. You know you don't have the answers quite yet. But Holly, I love the way that you framed it with maybe coming in and saying, what questions should I be asking? So that way, you're sort of taking yourself off the hook for having to answer them during the conversation, right? You know, like jotting them down, taking them away. And as you talked about, Priya, that idea that you're sort of assembling your own framework that you can start asking those questions of yourself the next time you have this kind of looming question or looming opportunity in front of you. Absolutely. I do see it as a very consultative process rather than interrogative. It's consultative because if you don't have the answer, you can easily take it away and be honest with yourself. Um, so that's that's been it's been nice to have a consultant of your career that guides you through it. So Holly, now that you've moved from BlackRock to Capital Group, how has your relationship changed? And, you know, it must look a little different now that you're not actually, you know, working together day by day. Yeah, it is. It's funny, though, as Priya and I were talking about this dynamic in advance of this session, I think it's not as different as you might expect. I think there are a few flavors that feel that feel different to me in how I approach conversations with Priya. But given the nature of our relationship, there's not often times where we would be talking about state secrets, um, such that, you know, we feel like we have to modify what we ask of each other. I think one dynamic that has shifted is I am no longer Priya's manager, which means that I can approach career dialogues in very different ways. Because, you know, as much as I would try to not have a, you know, a vested vested self-interest in advice I would give Priya, 
that relationship, you know, may have meant that she couldn't approach me with some real career questions because if she, you know, you don't talk to your manager about wanting to leave their team in most cases, um, if, if that's how she felt. And so I think that the ability to just have really open conversation about any topic when it's not a manager and an employee relationship is makes it a lot freer and a lot easier. I think, you know, one aspect maybe where it's harder is that, I'm not in the day-to-day anymore. So if Priya has a, a question that is around like a specific aspect of relationship navigation or how to approach a difficult conversation in the office, I can't provide advice because I'm not, I, I, I'm so far removed at this stage that it might make it difficult for me to even weigh in in an informed way. So I think in many ways it's freeing when you aren't at the same company and in some ways it, it means it's handicapping simply because you don't have the same background knowledge on specific topics. Yeah. And and Holly, I'd also add that in terms of just the frequency, right? Before it used to be uh, you and me going to our local Pete's across the road um, for a coffee chat whenever time used to free up where we could have very quick but short and frequent meetups. But now, um, you know, I actually am able to still text you on some you know, small, important things and get a text back, which are honestly high value and high impact items. And anytime if I do need to sit down with you for uh, a more consultative type of conversation, we probably chat when either one of us is uh, on the road stuck in traffic, right? Classic California. (laughs) Yep, indeed. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's where I go back to the exchange being so helpful um, for me from just a maintaining relationship standpoint. I think once you have relationships established with a mentor or a colleague, little infrequent communications on a fairly regular basis are so helpful at maintaining that relationship. And it is, it can be a text. It can be a quick back and forth. Hey, do you have time for a quick question? Or, you know, can I set up time with you to talk through a thing? I think it's important to be clear about how much time you need when you aren't seeing the person on a regular basis. But sometimes it's once or twice a year maintains a relationship that you've had for a long time so that it's there when you need it. And I think we underestimate the, just the power of, a, hey, I saw this in the news, thought you'd be interested. You know, it doesn't have to be a conversation, but it, but it keeps the relationship alive. And can I just say that photos go such a long way at those like small, infrequent interactions. Again, contextualizing for Holly in my case, uh, because, you know, a lot of things in my life I attribute to her. I've been dropping photos of my little child over to her uh, every now and then. And and that itself forms a a little basis for that constant uh, connection that is in a way removed from work. But anytime that I do have a work-related question or a career question, I still have that opportunity to come back to her on. I love that you said this. So I just had a friend. I, th- I think this is actually like a study. So she was reading something somewhere that basically said you should drop pictures for your husband or your spouse or your boyfriend, girlfriend or you know whoever like 15 times a day because you need to get your image in front of them with all the other things they have going on. And it like increases their like their lovingness to you. And so she was like dropping pictures all over the place to her husband and, and, you know, just whatever she was doing, she's cooking something. She's driving like, I don't know, 15 times a day, but I don't even do it once a day. You know, I don't know. I do it once a week, you know? And I was thinking, Oh, I guess, you know, he's looking at my husband's an architect. He's looking at images all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I guess 
sneaking in. Maybe I'll try it once a week, you know, like, here's a picture of me. Remember what I look like? I don't know. Um, he sees me every day. Christine, it's an interesting point because it's something that my husband and I have discussed. Like, it's valuable in a relationship to know that you're being thought of. And yes, in your spouse relationship, like you should let your spouse know that you think of them a whole lot more frequently than maybe you need to with a mentor, but it's the same concept. It's dropping a little note of, I'm thinking about you right now, hope all is well. That doesn't have to be, you know, a detailed conversation while you're in meetings throughout the day, but, but lets the other person know that you remember them, that you care and that they're important to you. It's just a whole lot less frequent, obviously, when it's a mentorship. One of my motives for doing this season on We Talk Careers podcast with mentors is because I get all the time folks basically saying, oh, you know, I wish I could do this. I, you know, don't have enough time or people asking for me to mentor and I'm, you know, trying to find people that may be better aligned to the goals or aspirations or or personality of the folks that ask me. And it's sometimes hard to find people that are willing to sort of invest time in others. Um, We all have a very limited amount of it. But I've noticed over the course of my career, the people that have invested in me and, and the people that I invest in, it changes the way that I view my own career, it, you know, changes everything about who I am, uh, growing empathy, growing gratitude. So maybe give some practical advice to those out there that may be reluctant or maybe haven't had the greatest experience with a mentoring relationship that never kind of got off the ground. What practical advice do you have for listeners? So Priya, maybe I'll start with you. Yeah, I would say given that If the mentee is struggling to take that relationship off, um, I would assume that it's not yet a well-oiled relationship. And to me, that means that the frequency of the interaction does need to go up a little, meaning you need to get in front of the mentor more and more, but without being as uh, annoying. So natural ways that I've found to be useful would be, you know, dropping a news article or flagging an area of interest that the mentor may be uh, connected to, or actually even getting part of the same networks. Um, if, if it's an internal network, like being part of the same network that they're interested in and volunteering for their committees, it builds a natural bridge on a day-to-day basis that you are almost setting aside a project that the two of you could work towards together. And the other thing is, if let's just say if it's a mentor out of work, setting up a Google search, I think I learned this tip from you, Holly, um, (laughs) setting up a Google search on, you know, what they might be up to, because if they have been mentioned in the news or in any industry magazine, you can easily circle back to them and be like, congratulations, I see that you're doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I, even LinkedIn, I think, is is an easy way to maintain touch points. And, and I guess I would go back to don't assume that a mentoring relationship has to be time consuming, certainly not for a long time. And I think where I've really struggled is where I have been placed in mentor situations, usually as the mentee, like you're assigned to someone and then left to your own devices to figure out why <laughs> this person is the person that, that you, you, how can this person add value for me? Um, what are their superpowers that I should lean into? That takes a while to establish an understanding and a rapport. And sometimes, sometimes there isn't a whole lot of, of commonality. And then you just understand that that's not going to be the solution. But I think where you do find a relationship 
it's easy. It should be quick and simple to maintain it with some of the suggestions that Priya has had and things like LinkedIn or, hey, are you going to go to this conference in Florida? Even if the answer is no, you've still made contact and there's still an opportunity to have a short back and forth. So I think don't let um, fear get in the way of trying because it doesn't have to be involved as it feels like. Makes a ton of sense. So let's take both of you back before sort of establishing this relationship and really thinking about the people that are in your life that have influenced you. For those that are perhaps younger in their careers, just looking at the idea of mentorship, what is something you wish you'd known about your network or about mentoring earlier on in your career? Or maybe you guys have always known it and it's just the rest of us who had to kind of catch up. (laughs) Not an expert here. Yeah, I'm happy to start. So I'm going to take it to the concept of the board of advisors because I feel like for so long in my career, that felt like this weird, opaque thing that senior seasoned professionals would say that meant nothing to me. And at the same time, that's when I was, you know, at a point in my career where I would struggle with how to establish a mentorship relationship. And in hindsight, I think it's because I was thinking about it totally wrong because I failed to appreciate and understand the concept of the board of advisors. And so for me, and what I wish I had known at the time is it's super easy to establish mentorship, or it's far easier, I should say, to establish mentorship relationships when you know why you're reaching out to the person. When you identify a specific thing that they're good at that you need to get better at, or a specific situation you've seen them navigate well where you'd like advice on, perhaps you're facing that same situation, those little touch points might be different for everyone. I think it's a fallacy to say a mentorship relationship is all encompassing across all of the things you might need to address. And that's what is hard to set up. So I wish I had known earlier that I should find people who are really good at the things I'm struggling with and reach out to them, perhaps just on that one narrow thing. And it might be fine. And over time you add those superpowers to what is a board of advisors. And so a mentor is not one thing. I think it is, it is a lot of people. I I would definitely underscore the concept of the board of advisors. I think if Holly was my one and only, once she left BlackRock, I would have been pretty crushed. Um, So luckily, I I did learn of this concept firsthand when I had first lost my initial mentor due to layoffs. And Uh, I had to be very intentional about rebuilding my board of advisors. So I would say, you know, on hindsight, we have to keep reevaluating our board of advisors. We are always going to be evolving in our job scopes and careers. Our roles are going to look different from the time that we, we first start. So having an eye to continuously evolve those internal and external advisors uh, tends to be key. And oftentimes, as you are also navigating life, it tends to be difficult. Personally, it's been more difficult now that I have a kid to have that same level of time, energy, and bandwidth to be very intentional. But it is important to keep doing that um, because that really builds perspective. Um, The other thing I would also mention is the concept of keeping in touch. I've been in the industry just a decade. Uh, I know it's just a, a fraction of both you ladies, but you know, even in that decade, the amount of incredible people that I've come across is, is huge. Finding a simple way to keep that organic relationship going is, is, is key. And you know, as a Singaporean uh, living in the US, I found the concept of holiday cards new, and it is such a beautiful way of updating those in your lives through a very simple postcard. Um, So far, I've I've actually been sending those cards to my work relationships. And 
whoever I've asked for their addresses, they've always been very forthcoming to provide them. So I would suggest that as a, as a good tip too. You know, it's an easy way to, to stay in touch with people that are important in your life. I agree. I send holiday cards as well. So Priya, I will be asking for your address because I would love to stay in touch. <laughs> that would be my honor. <laughs> I really do love it. And I, you know, I think this idea of being intentional about it, I'm so appreciative of people that are intentional with me because sometimes you don't always stay in touch with everyone you'd like to. So it's nice when it's you know, both sides are trying to do it um, because there's just there's just so much busyness. There's just so much noise in our world. So such a great reminder. And maybe people can just take a moment um, after this podcast to think about ways that to keep in touch and and perhaps folks that they haven't reached out to because I think people would love to hear from you. So our last question, which is just, again, mind boggling to me. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I'm a writer and a reader, an avid reader. I love the bookshelf that we are building on this podcast. So tell me, ladies, maybe Priya, starting with you, what are you reading and, and why would you recommend it? Absolutely. I, I love to read. Um, and right now, the book that I'm on is called Time to Parent, uh, which I highly recommend for all new parents. I try my best to do things as efficiently in life as possible. And that includes raising a child. This book attempts to break down the definition of parenting into an acronym called PART, which stands for Providing, Arranging, Relating, and Teaching. One of the insights that I gathered is that providing and arranging tends to be invisible tasks to the child. Lots of women tend to fall into this category, apparently, while relating and teaching are more visible tasks to the child. So the author urges you know, all parents to try to have a balance across visible and invisible tasks, which I thought was a very useful takeaway for me. I love that idea. I hadn't really thought of it that way. So the idea that you really want your child to to see you and see your strengths and see your love in both tangible ways as well as sort of behind the scenes to give them security. I, yeah, I've, I've never really thought exactly. of it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's excellent. What about you, Holly? Well, I'm pleased, Christine, that this time you asked me this question. I have a book and I will say I am reading a pleasure book called Salem Falls. I don't know. I picked it up in a little free library. Oh, Not a whole lot to report there. That's Jodi Pico, right? Yes. 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 She was, she was the first author when I uh, reached out when I first started writing and I just sent her an email and she was the first author I ever did that to. And she got right back to me and over the years, she has answered any question that I had on craft and everything else. So I'm a big fan of her. So all oh, of Oh, that's amazing. She is a mentor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I don't know if she knows it, but I know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, the other, and I think probably more salient that I'm reading right now is the first 90 days. So I'm in the middle of a, a role transition. And it, this is a book that I just continuously come back to anytime I'm experiencing a major transition with work specifically, though, I think it could apply to more than that. And I, I just love that it establishes a framework of stakeholder mapping and identifying the relationships that you need to build, reinforce, or um, newly establish when you're taking on something new, how you think about interacting with your team. And I think importantly, 
how you set and agree to measures of success. So, you know, one of the key principles is after 90 days, like what does success look like at the 30, 60, 90 day, six month, one year mark? And I just find it really helpful when you feel overwhelmed to ground yourself in nearer term milestones and quick wins so that you can build credibility and build the confidence that you're actually progressing toward what you want that kind of end state transition to look like. Right. And instead of just looking, I I love that it's a balance, right? You can look at all those quick wins. You can celebrate them if you look at them as milestones. And you can also be just kind to yourself not to assume too much movement or too much success in a short amount of time. So I love that idea of just, you know, taking a breath with each of those milestones after a transition. So we will be adding those books to our show notes. Thank you so much, ladies. And thank you so much for your time today. This has been such an enlightening conversation and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Christine. It's been very fun. It's it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having us. Of course. And you gave Priya and I a reason to reconnect and have a lengthy conversation. So exactly. super helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Always want to be helpful. Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.